Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Long Story Short, where we are just coming off a very lively discussion about the intersection of gender, race, and global development leadership. My name is Kate Midden. I am here with special guest Angela Bruce Rayburn, Associate Director of Advocacy for the Global Health Advocacy Incubator and Executive Vice President of DevEx, Kate Warren, who has long overseen all of our careers and recruiting content here at DevEx. If you didn't tune in to the tweet chat that we just have, that we just had, I would ask you to go to Twitter and type in hashtag GlobalDevWomen, where we just got into a number of different topics. Don't even know where to start. Um, the the central tenet of this conversation that we just had was really looking at systemic racism within the institutions, the global development institutions that we all work for, you know, work with, partner with, all of this. Um, so I want to just start there and hand it over to you, Angela. You've written a number of op-eds for DevEx really looking at this issue. Kind of what is your what is your experience, what is your perspective on this from where you sit? Thank you, ladies. I'm so happy to be here again. You know, this whole conversation about race is, is pretty interesting to me in that we, women in the, in, in the workforce, especially in global development, you know, you find that we... We're in a lot of different positions, but more, you know, at lower level positions, you know, the administrative positions. Not that that's a negative, but in terms of wanting to have a career, it's difficult when, you try, when you're trying to, to kind of break into the field where there's a lot of barriers to entry. Um, and someone like me, you know, I wrote that uh, op-ed that was published on DevEx called uh, But Wait Until They See Your Black Face. And it was just an opportunity for me to talk about my experiences being this quite educated black woman trying to break into the development field and the barriers that I faced. And I wanted to kind of give some voice to that, that when you are trying to apply to these big organizations, you know, you, you beat the applicant tracking system, um, you get the interview, but then there's this sense when you get there, are you good enough? And I think that my, my op-ed was kind of me questioning why did I have to ask whether I was good enough. I have three master's degrees. I speak fluent French. Why aren't I good enough, right? But I think that a lot of times women of color, certainly black women, are constantly um, needing to be better, um, recognizing that, you know, something that Michelle Obama said recently that really resonated with me, which was, you don't have to be good, you have to be outstanding. And I think that for me, I always say, you don't have to be good, you have to be great. Because we work in a field where, you know, we're going into these countries, where we're, you know, bringing aid um, and, 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 and talking about humanitarian development. And we are sometimes uh, the only woman of color in an environment where the recipients look like us. So then that creates this whole new dimension for us. And I think for someone like me, I... I constantly assessed my value. I constantly assessed my worth. And I think a lot of women like me recognize, you know, that. And so that, that's where the block came from. Yeah, I yeah. do. I want to I wanna get into that kind of like country level experience mm -hmm. that you just mentioned in a minute. But something that you were just talking about were the barriers to entry mm -hmm. and conversations that we have had that you've written about for DevEx have talked about how when you were first getting in, starting your career that you would walk into a room, as you said, you know, you have all of these credentials, mm -hmm. you speak fluent French, but then you might be beat out for a job by a white woman who, 
you know, or a white man who had a little bit of experience, maybe did a, a study abroad somewhere in a country, which I think is really indicative of the issue that right, we're talking right. about here. Yeah, that's it's the truth. When I was in Haiti, one of the funniest things was that I would always meet young people who had been in Haiti for like three weeks. And these people would move, you know, they would move on to advising people on Haiti, advising governments, advising organizations. Um, these are people who came after the earthquake, um, spent very short amount of time, and they just were able to really jump ahead. Um, even as a Caribbean person, I've talked to other people who say that even getting jobs in the Caribbean, they're, they're not as Caribbean as they need to be. And I'm thinking, well, I'm born in the Caribbean. How much more Caribbean do I need to be? Why, you know, we are constantly fighting for positions, competing with people who had an internship in the Caribbean. Um, and my Caribbeanness, as being a native-born person, is sometimes not good enough. And I think it's part of this idea that when development organizations come, they come with the expertise of the Western environment, which oftentimes in include white men as being sort of the voice of God, and, and, and oftentimes white women as well. And, and so you are now this Caribbean person who is not as Caribbean as you need to be, and you could lose easily to someone who, who's been to Haiti for a semester or who's been to, to you know, studied at the university. And say, for example, example, in my native Trinidad, they have better access and better opportunities than, say, someone like me. Right. And that was reality for us. So, Kate, I want to turn to you. You have this, you know, this amazing insight into some of the biggest global development institutions. You know, how are some of the issues that we're talking about here? What are what are the factors that precede something like, you know, how racism manifests into not hiring people of color or you know, prioritizing hiring of someone who is not from a country that is kind of in the portfolio that you're hiring for and instead yeah. no, someone who had an unpaid internship. Right. Somewhere. I mean, I, I think we talked about that a lot. The barrier to entry to work in our sector is very high. And sometimes you need multiple unpaid internships to even be uh, qualify for a very entry-level job. So we're immediately shutting out a whole population of people who don't have the privilege to be able to go to uh, an expensive university and then have their student loans and afford to work for free, which is you know, such an irony for our sector that this is such a big issue. I would also say, I mean, we do a lot of recruitment support with even large international organizations and they can put together these policies and we'll help them build pipelines of more diverse candidates but when it comes down to it, the person who decides who to hire is this hiring manager. And if they aren't bought into diversity being valuable, and sometimes it's also a subconscious bias that people just want to hire somebody that's like them, maybe went to their same school, is from their same area, somebody that they have friends in common with because it feels more comfortable. Um, but I think we need to get used to feeling like uncomfortable is actually a good thing when you're building your teams. Well, you had said something during the tweet chat about it, DevX, when you look at someone coming in who might have a, dif a different perspective or coming from a different background, kind of reframing that to look at it as a value add instead yeah, of something. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people part. talk about cultural fit. And, you know, it is important when you have your own corporate culture that you have people that, um, you know, have the same values as you as an organization, but that often culture fit can be synonymous for people like me or people like the people already work here. 
So something we even talk about at DevX and think about in our own hiring is somebody's going to add to our culture. And that can mean somebody with a very different background, experience, and perspective. And that's actually a really valuable thing. There was some research that was released by Quantum Impact, who have long been our partners on the Global Dev Women ongoing campaign that showed that 51% of organizations have zero leaders of color. How does something like that resonate in the organization? Because it feels like it would have pretty huge implications. Angela? Yeah, well, I, in fact, I read that report by Quantum Impact, and one of the things that I really appreciated about it was the theory of change, right? The, talking about diversity and inclusion will lead to better creativity and innovation, and that's where the impact is, right? And I really like that theory of change because I'm just thinking about someone like me. I'm an immigrant kid. You know, I grew up where with a father who had three jobs so that I could go to college, right? And I'm thinking, I have a perspective about the world, about poverty, about development, about how in humanitarian involvement, how that works, because I come from an immigrant background, and that means that my perspective may be quite different. And what, how good is it for an organization to be able to have a perspective that's like mine and, a, and, and match that with a perspective that may not be exactly like mine? And that's where creativity and innovation can come from. Because I am often the person in the room wanting to say, but wait a minute, let's talk about the barriers to why certain things happen in development. For example, in Haiti, I was telling someone that I was once in a situation where we had people come into a meeting and, and, and the person who was organizing the meeting um, put that the meeting was an hour earlier. And so we got there early enough for the meeting, but the Haitian staff was, was not present. And, I, and, and no one else was present other than us Oxfam people. And I was asking, where are the other people? And someone told me that they, they make up a time that's earlier, right? Um, so that the Haitian staff could get there because they're always late. Now, I look at that and say, if in that time where that discussion was happening, there was a person like me in the room, I might have said, you realize that it's post-earthquake. You realize that the streets were destroyed, right? You realize that we at Oxfam had a car waiting for us when we walk out the door in the morning. We are never going to be late for work. Our staff people coming from far away, taking four modes of transportation, they're going to get there late, sweating, you know, dripping with, you know, because it's so hot. There are barriers to them getting late. And having a perspective like mine would have been, would have allowed the organization to make a better choice about the time that the meeting was set. Maybe the meeting needed to be in a different place to allow easier access. Maybe the meeting didn't need to be eight. Maybe it needed to be 10 to give people time to come. And that's where creativity and innovation comes in, right? Because different people bring a different conversation and a perspective. So someone like me would have been at the table to say, maybe we need to reconsider how we do our work instead of this sort of westernized idea, they're always late. You know what I mean? I mean, that's just... It's so crazy on so many levels. Right. On so many levels. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, yes, absolutely. Having the, your perspective there, having that kind of perspective there is hugely helpful. But you would think that it would also just take a little bit of empathy to realize that we are in a an extreme post-disaster yes. setting. Yes, yes. And but when, no. 
Yeah. That's not the way. That's not the way it works. And so sometimes we we hear about all these uh, issues in these countries where there's perspective is just not there. And I think bringing in people who may not, you know, come from your same school or maybe come from your little network, but people who can offer other possibilities to the discussion and I think as an you know I grew up in Brooklyn I came from the Caribbean immigrant kid like I said my father had you know jobs to make ends meet I have a perspective on in the on the world that's very different sometimes and I think I have more empathy I understand things in a way that 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 kind of strengthens the work that we do and so when I read quantum impact I realized that what they're talking about is having this perspective allows better innovation, allows creativity, and impact will be stronger. And that's where I think we need to be moving in our field. Yeah, yeah. yeah several of our surveys we've done around skills that are really important for people working in the sector, empathy always rates number one. Mm-hmm. Um, so we all recognize that. But diversity helps build empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of organizations look at diversity as like a compliance issue, um, checking some boxes and they don't really see how it's actually really critical for them making greater impact and while it is about equity and fairness it's not just about that it's actually the smart thing to do if we want to realize significant impact on these significant challenges we're facing you have to have a diverse workforce that's reflective of the various people that we are serving and to not do so is a failure of leadership honestly and and it's not a negative right <laughs> Oftentimes, that's what you feel, that it's yeah. a negative, that people feel like, oh, you're making, you're making us have to hire people. I think we need to move over this idea that it's a negative and this idea that you're choosing between qualified white people and unqualified everyone else. Mm-hmm. That's really where I think the danger is. Because once you have that as the sort of binary choice, then of course it's a negative, right? Because of course people feel put upon that you're forcing this unqualified minority onto us, but that's not really what you're forcing because you can have two equally qualified people, yeah. you know, a, a minority and a, and a white male, for example, and that could be your choice. So the choice is not necessarily between a qualified white person and an unqualified everybody else. And I, I think that's important to talk about because there's this sense that you're being put upon as you, and compliance as yeah. well. Yeah. So I think that um, something else that a lot of, frankly, white leaders don't realize is the the other side of that. There's the there's the you can engage in kind of HR diversity and inclusion hiring practices, but it's not just a numbers game of getting more people in. It depends. It's getting people into people of color into positions of leadership. But for people of color, there's a lot of stress involved in the kind of institutional racism that we're talking about, which feels obvious, but is something that doesn't seem to be talked a lot about in organizations. Um, Angela, you've written about this and called it mental gymnastics. I, would you mind sharing a yeah. little bit about that? Well, actually, not only myself. I Thank you. I, I read someone else. It was a, lady, a, a young lady who just wrote something that you referenced. Um, I think it's called Diversity Without Inclusion. The Cost of Diversity. The Cost of Diversity Without Inclusion. Without inclusion. Uh, that young lady's article was also fraught with mental gymnastics, right? Um, that these organizations, uh, you have to go to work in them, and you are constantly assessing and and maybe it's inadvertent, I don't know, but that's not how it feels from sitting 
in my shoes. Um, I, I once had a young lady at Oxfam who once said to me, when she came to Oxfam, uh, an African-American young woman, she said, I don't understand the language, right? That there is this whole jargon of development that sometimes in the meetings people are talking and you don't really know what it means and it's sort of like if and you're expected to know what it means and you're and there's no guidelines there's no assistance to kind of help you to maneuver it and so oftentimes it leaves you feeling excluded and i talk about that because i remember there were many times in my work where i would think is am i on the right path am i assessing my value again. I, I I did that for a long time. And then afterwards, I realized that at some level, I had to own that I had brought the skills that I had, and I had to do the best that I could. But I know that this is a feeling uh, that resonates. This discussion about mental gymnastics resonates with a lot of women, certainly with black women. I know that. And, you know, to your point about sitting in development meetings when you first get into the sector and you have no idea, mm -hmm. you know, the, the language is right. it's like an alternate universe. Right. You know, I think that there are probably a lot of people who or a lot of white people who would say, oh, well, why not just ask, ask. the question? Yeah. But to your earlier point, yeah. if you are under pressure to be twice or thrice is good. Right, exactly. That's not. Exactly. Because when you have to be outstanding, you you spend a lot of time trying to be outstanding. And that means that there are so many things that you could, that you, you're, so, you're, you're sort of vulnerable as well. Because a lot of times development is so competitive, right? A lot of us go into these meetings and people just talk like they know everything. You know, you guys know those meetings where, right? <laughs> where people just know you're thinking, let me be quiet, right? And so that's a lot of times. And I know that this happens as well to, to, you know, a, a white colleagues. I'm not saying that this is unique to, to just black women or people of color, but I'm saying that there's also the added issue of race that adds another dimension to the problem. So this is a development issue, but it's, it's the dimension of race creates more difficulties. That's that's all I'm trying to you know to add. Yeah, you're compounding sexism, you're, racism, racism, and now you right. And when the two things come together, and then and then add all the barriers to access. So by the time you get in, you don't want to you don't want to deal with that. Yeah, you know, just rocking the it, boat. You're just you just you're exhausted by that point. And then of course you got to stay in, right? Because that's the and the field is competitive, as as we say. So there's always someone waiting to take your position, right? You know, for every opening, I mean, the UN gets what thousands of applications for just one job, right? So and when you get in, you do what needs to be done to stay in. And I think race just compounds that. So I do want to really quickly let anyone know who just tuned in. You know, I am Kate Midden here with Angela Ruse. Excuse me, Angela Bruce Rayburn from the Global Health Advocacy Incubator, Kate Warren, who is our Executive Vice President at DevEx, talking about the intersection of race, gender, and leadership in global development. We are getting a couple questions, so we will hold those for the end. If you have them at home, please leave them in the comment section or tweet them to us using hashtag DevXTV. Um, before we get to those questions, you know, just for, for background for people at home, part of the impetus for us to host this tweet chat is, you know, we're in the middle of this women's movement. It is amazing. There's all of this kind of momentum around gender equality, but it just felt very clear that gender equality does not mean all women. Um, and there's a big discrepancy there when we're talking about kind of which women get to climb the ladder and get to ride this wave. So, Kate, starting with you, you know, from the kind of institutional career side, 
how do we make sure that you know diversity does also equal inclusion especially under this umbrella of organizations having this momentum for yeah i mean i think intersectionality is something that we talk a lot about in a development perspective in some of our programming maybe not enough but it is become part of our vernacular of really looking at the multiple identities that people come to work with. And we don't think about that so much from the hiring perspective. And most of the organizations I've worked with are not having those kind of discussions when they're thinking about either recruitment or talent development. So I think that needs to become part of the conversation. Um, I'm also in the Twitter chat mentioned, I think that the donors have an obligation to play a role here too. When you look at how they structure the requirements that are often passed down to the NGO or the consulting firm that's implementing their project, uh, they are passing down a very rigid structure that creates a very high barrier uh, for other people who maybe don't have 10 years experience working managing USAID project, for example. Um, that, I, a lot of the organizations that we work with and I've worked with before, you might want to bring in a candidate who has a really interesting, different perspective and think they would be really good for the role, but because the way the job requirements are set up and the way the contracts are set up, you don't have that flexibility. So I think that there's some room there. And also how grants and contract proposals are evaluated by donors. Are they looking at the diversity of staff, at having that be part of the criteria so that it actually incentivizes organizations to invest in the outreach and um, talent development that will be necessary to build those diverse teams. Yeah. Angela, I would love to hear your perspective on yeah, this. Yeah, that's exactly true, right? Sometimes you, the, the barrier could just be the amount of experience that might be required without, without taking a full look at all the skills that come with this person. And maybe that, five, that 10 years experience is maybe that's not needed when the person can maybe do something else. Maybe the person is from the region. Maybe there's a, a real a real connection to the region. Maybe that's what's going to help your project to advance. But that's not the way we we that's not the way we evaluate. So I, I definitely agree that that's a, a possibly a problem. Yeah. So we do have a couple questions that I will bring in from the audience. The first one. I'm curious about advice you have on how to raise colonialism and colonial impact in meetings, particularly when we're doing program design or needs assessments, etc. I really struggle with how few people talk about the lasting impact of this relatively recent history in, in the development challenges we are working on, and I'm not sure how to solve these problems if we can't get to the root of some problems. That is such a good question, yes. and I want to do a quick plug about this story that we published yesterday, um, where there was a certain development leader in a meeting who <laughs> referred to, what was it exactly? It was looking ahead and not being nostalgic about how Belgium had treated Africa in the past. Congo. Congo. Oh, excuse me, yeah, yeah Congo. treated Congo in mm -hmm. the past. Yeah. Um, so timely in so many yes. ways. That is a that's an excellent question. I, w I was just telling uh, Kate previously, I went to grad school in, in Belgium, and the sense of his comment, the, the leader of Belgium, it was so amazingly tone deaf when he's talking about Leopold, who was a terrible king who really pillaged Congo for years, and to talk about the future when we had not even really talked about the past. So that was interesting. Um, that question is so important. So I have a friend from Uganda who we've talked about this, how she asked me when we were talking one day about this issue of 
talking about colonialism and the fact that we don't talk about it in project design because it's the taboo topic. But when we don't talk about it, we don't talk about how, why, we're he, why are we even here designing this project. We're here because these countries have suffered a, a tremendous loss under colonialism. So to pretend that it never existed is not, is not the best way forward. So advice I would give to this person would be in design meetings, there is a history lesson to be had. But when you don't have people at the table that could speak to that history lesson, that could speak to that experience of living in a country that maybe it just came out of colonialism, for example, or a country like, say, my own country in 1966, we came out of colonialism, which means it wasn't so far away. So when there are not people at the table that can speak to these kinds of complex issues, you can't design anything that understands that and that lays a foundation for the way your project is going to be designed. My friend from Uganda says to me, we keep doing the same thing over and over, and we don't seem to understand that the history of colonialism has a direct impact on the way aid is received and the way aid is given. And she, and she says to me, and developing organizations continue to do the same tired projects all over the world with very little impact, evaluating it every year, bringing in more money, and never questioning where's the gap. And the gap is oftentimes in the fact that a conversation about where you have been as a country is not part of it. So the Belgian leader, for example, is obviously telling you, we, we don't care about, you know, let's, let's be done with the history of Leopold. But in the Congo, that's an impossibility, I, I would say. You know, that, that's how I see that. It's a great question. Yeah. I mean, just anecdotally, I would also say when I first started my career in development, I always thought that people who worked in major NGOs or for the big donors, like if they, you know, if Congo or if another country was in their portfolio, I thought, oh, well, these people must have had really strong academic backgrounds and must have really studied these countries. The truth is, it's rare. The case. I mean, you you do find really phenomenal experts who know what they're doing, certainly, but yeah. often the people who are running programs might just also not have Absolutely true. that history. I think it's also deeply rooted in the motivations of why a lot of people who work in development is something that we need to check ourselves. So we kind of have that kind of that white savior complex. And you know, I talk to a lot of young, early career college students that really want to work in this sector. And a lot of times when you're talking to them and their motivation is that they are going to go and save these poor people that need help. And if they go do a volunteer project with building houses, all their friends, oh, you're such a great selfless person. And it's more about making them feel good and superior that I don't think is an intentionally ill will, but we, I think, need to check ourselves and our motivations on why we work in this sector and, and recognize that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's, that's, that's also true. Mm -hmm. This idea that, and, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to help people. I, I, you know, I think, it, I don't want to convey the message that yeah. people are not good inherently, right? But Development is that kind of strange sector. On one hand, we're do-gooders, but on the other hand, we're also built on a system of racism and exclusion. Let's face it. We have aid because we've, you know, let's face it, we've, you know, devastated a lot of these countries. You know, colonialism has, you know, they've wreaked havoc on some of these countries. And now these countries are debilitated countries, and now we're going in to help. So, you know, we, on one hand, we're doing good, but on the other hand, 
we're here for a reason. And I feel like we need to move away that shine from development and, and humanitarian work that sort of makes us these special people. No, we're, we're special people because we, we're going into situations that was created a lot of times by our own countries. So I, I also want us to be mm-hmm. honest. And I think yeah. to, be, to check ourselves, as you say, is an important reality. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, questioning the premise, questioning the yeah. history, questioning yeah. the motivations, yeah. because, yeah. you know, as, as you both said, you know, this idea of, you know, I'm doing good and then you're praised by other people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, having it root, that kind of having that rooted into you, especially when you're young, I would argue that also really breeds unconscious bias too. when it's you know you are going to have better standing in your family and your community if you are seen as helping other people (laughs) in this other country yeah Um, yeah you know the the, you know it's funny about that because even in development um work expats get r&r right they have to escape Haiti for two weeks and the people who work in our in the office who are Haitian they they don't get R&R they don't get to escape so it's like development people we come in with this you know we are we got the education we have the the money we are there we're working so hard and then poor us we must leave and go home for two weeks to escape this it's so insanely racist and exclusive you know I it that was a real issue for us in 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 Haiti in, in after the earthquake. Yeah, well, I'm sure that local <laughs> staff are like, okay, well, you're going to go sip wine in Paris for two weeks. Yes. And I'll be here. here. You know, in my country. In, like, yeah, in my, in my ancestral home yeah. with my family. Yeah. Doing my job. Doing yeah, my job. absolutely. Wow. <laughs> so we do have one more question. Uh, another great question. What platforms are available to connect with other persons of color who are already in the field for those that have limited connections? So I just joined. I just joined um, a group. It's called um, um, uh, Black Women in Global Black Women uh, in Global Dev, um, and it's a, just a, an amazing opportunity um, that, that just opened where a bunch of you know Black women are talking about this field, and there are um, and re, and being able to sort of you know post jobs, talk about opportunities, talk about. Uh, events that are going on, um, looking at ways to build a better network. Because as we were talking about earlier, a lack of network is also part of this, this problem. So I am really excited about being, um, a part of this kind of group where, you know, meeting other black women around the world talking about how we can improve the sector. Another thing for me is being able, I, I talk about this all the time, about looking in the rearview mirror. I see that as being my most important responsibility when it comes to how I network and outreach in my work, in my, for my work, which means any woman who's writing email to me, find me on LinkedIn and ask me to take a look at their CV. I'm doing it no matter what color the woman, the woman might be. Um, I want to, I want to help with that. I want to be able to connect to opportunities in my, in my office, um, in other organizations. I feel like we cannot pretend that this is not intentional. Right. What we're talking about is us taking a moment out of our day to look at uh, the CV of someone who's trying to get in and to to make a concerted effort. All of us are busy, and many of us who have fought to get where we are, we don't have we don't have time. Right. So it's intentional. This idea of looking in the rearview mirror and seeing who's coming behind you, who who can you help, who can you reach out to, because men do that way better than women they have their networks they have their golf club things they have their 
drinking beer things. They have all their things while women oftentimes are running home to get the kids and things like that. And women have to be intentional about this. And it might be difficult to do, but I think it's the only way we can do it. So I'm all about reaching out to me and um, and kind of getting in out there and, and saying this job is here um, posting openings, posting opportunities, posting um, webinars, posting, you know, the things, kind of things that you're talking about. Um, that's the way to do it, I think. I mean, it may not be easy, but I think we have to know that it's in- we must be intentional. Angela, you know? thank you so much for joining us. And Kate, thank you so much for joining us. I guess one final question will be, like, what is your final takeaway from this conversation? We'll start with you, Kate, and then Angela. Final takeaway is I'm just I'm glad we're having these conversations and I feel like it's long overdue um, and I think that we need to continue them and find more platforms and venues and ways to elevate voices like Angela and other people who you know here we are two white women talking about this issue which I think is important that we all should feel some ownership in this but we need to make sure we're being inclusive in the voices that we elevate. I know that's something important to us at DevX and in our continued coverage. Um, so uh, we'll be working on that here. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I think that the conversation is important. 25 years ago, this was not a conversation. So I, I, I tell my friends, I'm so happy to be alive in a time when this can be done in the way that it can be done easily. Technology allows us to reach people. I could, you know, I have friends all over the world who could look at this and think about, oh, let me log in, let me let me subscribe to DevX, for example, let me get involved a little bit more. That's what I think this this um, conversation has been elevated in a way that I'm ha- I'm happy. This is a good time for it. And so, you know, to white women, it's all good. You know, <laughs> we need you all part of the part of the the, the work that the work that needs to be done. So, thank you. Well, thank you both so much for joining us, joining me. Um, you can tune in next week for the next episode of Long Story Short. And in the meantime, do go look at Global Dev Women on Twitter. We also have a Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash Global Dev Women. Please join us there to continue the conversation. And we will see you next week. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.